The workers and their family members stood beside the massive ship, staring at the brand new, gleaming beauty. Her paint looked like it hadn't even dried yet. The group of 48 stood on the gangway, walking toward the ship to visit the gorgeous vessel. They'd been invited, and the workers were excited to show their relatives the fruits of their hard labor. It was a cool November day at the shipyard, and the visitors all continued eagerly toward the enormous ocean liner before them, reminiscing on vessels past. Suddenly, the group heard a strain creaking and cracking before they were in free fall without warning. The air filled with gasps of surprise and screams of terror, ending with a tremendous crash at the bottom of the dry dock. Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today, thanks to our listeners, we will be discussing the career of RMS Queen Mary II, a current-day Cunard ship and one of the only ocean liners left today. Thanks so much to our listeners on YouTube that voted for us to cover RMS Queen Mary II. Thank you all so much for your patience as well as last week and still today, I am sick. I apologize for my strained voice. Quick disclaimer for a younger audience before we dive in. This story does include details of maritime accidents that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised for those under the age of 13. Please keep in mind that I'm not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I've done my research. Okay everyone, let's get into it. Alright, RMS Queen Mary II, named after her predecessor RMS Queen Mary, is an enormous, gorgeous ocean liner. She has a gross tonnage of 149,215 gross tons. Gross tonnage is different than gross registered tonnage in that gross tonnage is a non-linear measure of a ship's overall internal volume, and her displacement is 79,287 tons. In imperial measurements, she is 1,132 feet long, has a beam of 134 feet and 6 inches wide at the waterline, a beam of 147.5 feet at the bridge wings, a height of 236.2 feet high from the keel to the top of her funnel, a draft of 33 feet and 10 inches, and spans 18 total decks, 14 being accessible to passengers. In metric measurements, that's 345.03 meters long, a beam of 41 meters at the waterline, a beam of 45 meters at the bridge wings, a height of 72 meters from the keel to the top of the funnel, and a draft of 10.3 meters. As for capacity, RMS Queen Mary II was originally fitted to carry 2,620 passengers, and after a 2016 refit, that was upgraded to 2,695 passengers with a crew of 1,253. Let's get into propulsion, shall we? For propulsion, RMS Queen Mary II is equipped with four Wartzilla 16V46C CR diesel engines capable of producing 16,800 kilowatts apiece, as well as two General Electric LM2500 plus gas turbines for an extra 25,060 kilowatts apiece if needed. This system is an integrated electric propulsion configuration used to produce drive to her four Rolls-Royce slash Alstrom Mermaid electric propulsion pods, as well as all hotel functions. With this setup, she can reach speeds up to 30 knots, which is 56 kilometers per hour and 35 miles per hour. Her average service speed, however, is between 22.6 knots, which is 41.9 kilometers per hour and 26 miles per hour, and 26 knots, which is 48 kilometers per hour and 30 miles per hour. 
She is built to be an ocean liner and a cruise ship, but because she is an ocean liner, her hull is slightly different than your average modern day cruise ship, which has a block coefficient of 0.73, with 1.0 representing a rectangular block. However, Armas Queen Mary 2 is more fine-lined with a block coefficient of 0.61. As for the ship's appearance, RMS Queen Mary 2 has a classic white superstructure and black hull design with a red keel and one red and black funnel. Her design is sleek with a sharp bow with a bulbous bow protruding out from just under the waterline for stability. This design first appeared with SS Normandy, and if you're interested in that gorgeous French ocean liner, we do have an episode available on her. RMS Queen Mary 2's identification numbers are as follows. Her call sign is ZCEF6, her IMO number is 9241061, and her MMSI number is 3106270000, with her port of registry having been Southampton in the UK from 2004 to 2011, and is currently Hamilton, Bermuda. Her owner is Carnival Corporation and PLC, since Cunard is owned by Carnival, and her operator, of course, is the Cunard line. Alright, now we know what RMS Queen Mary 2 is capable of. Let's get into the nitty gritty of her design and construction. Cunard finished the design for a new class of 84,000 gross ton passenger liners capable of carrying 2,000 passengers on June 8, 1998. However, they would go back and revise them after comparing them to Carnival Cruise Line's 100,000 gross ton Destiny class cruise ships and Royal Caribbean International's 137,276 gross ton Voyager class. The Destiny class for Carnival, which changed names to the Sunshine class, includes Carnival Sunshine, Carnival Triumph, and Carnival Victory. It was originally called the Destiny class because Carnival Sunshine was first called Carnival Destiny. As for the Voyager class for Royal Caribbean, this includes Voyager of the Seas, Explorer of the Seas, and Adventure of the Seas, with the second generation of this class including Navigator of the Seas and Mariner of the Seas. In December of 1998, Cunard released the details of Project Queen Mary, which was a project to create an ocean liner to complement their then-flagship RMS Queen Elizabeth II. She was the flagship from 1969 to 2004, and as an aging liner, she needed a new counterpart. Harland & Wolff, the famous Belfast shipyard that built almost every single White Star Line ship in existence, was invited to bid on the project, as well as Finn Cantieri of Italy, Meyer Werft of Germany, Aker Kverner of Norway, and Chantier de Atlantique of France. Officially, the contract was signed with Chantier de Atlantique, a subsidiary of Alstom, on November 6, 2000. Ironically, this is the same shipyard Cunard's former rivals, SS Normandy and SS France, were built in many moons before. Her keel was laid down on July 4, 2002 in the Acre Yards ASA of Chantiers de l'Antique in Saint-Nazaire, France, with the hull number G32. It took 3,000 craftsmen and estimated 8 million working hours on the ship, with around 20,000 people directly or indirectly involved in her design, construction, and fitting out. You heard it correctly, 8 million working hours. That's a long time. In total, it would take 300,000 pieces of steel assembled into 94 blocks welded together in the dry dock to complete the hull and superstructure of RMS Queen Mary II. After her launch on March 21, 2003, she was fitted out in the large fitting out basin called Basin C, and she was the first ship to use this enormous dry dock since the shipyard built tankers in the 1970s, like MV Gastor. 
Her sea trials would take place between September 25th through the 29th and November 7th through the 11th of 2003. These trials would take place between Saint-Nazaire and the offshore islands of Île-de-Ou and Belle-Île. You might remember a traumatic incident from our new intro. First of all, do you like the new intro style? Let me know in the comments. This traumatic incident marred the final stages of construction on November 15, 2003. A group of 48 shipyard workers and their relatives were invited to visit RMS Queen Mary II, and while boarding the ship along a gangway, it collapsed beneath their feet, sending 16 of the 48 to their deaths and injuring 32. They fell 49 feet, or 15 meters, into the dry dock, crumpling into the pavement. Rest in peace to the victims of this horrific accident, and I hope the survivors have found peace. Despite this, her construction was still completed on schedule, with RMS Queen Mary II leaving Saint-Nazaire on December 22, 2003, and she arrived in Southampton, England on December 26, 2003. She was christened and officially named by Queen Elizabeth II on January 8, 2004, officially becoming RMS Queen Mary II. She would actually inherit the RMS part from RMS Queen Mary, since there are no more Royal Mail steamships nowadays, and I think it's fitting for her. The principal naval architect for RMS Queen Mary II was Carnival's in-house designer, Stephen Payne, a British naval architect who has worked on the designs of approximately 40 passenger ships for Carnival. He wanted many aspects of RMS Queen Mary II's design to closely resemble former great ocean liners, such as RMS Queen Mary and RMS Queen Elizabeth II. This includes the three thick black lines called hands that wrap around either edge of the ship's bridge screen and at the stern end of the superstructure. And this is to call back to the appearance of the crossovers of the forward decks on the original RMS Queen Mary. As for other notable features, RMS Queen Mary II has 152,460 square feet or 14,164 square meters of exterior deck space, with windscreens to shield passengers in rough seas, much like RMS Olympic and RMS Titanic. Originally, she was built with five pools, however, during the 2016 refit, her shallow splash pool on deck 13 was removed to make room for more staterooms. Two of the remaining four pools are outdoor pools, with the two indoor pools located on Deck 7 in the Canyon Ranch Spa and on Deck 12. The pavilion pool located on Deck 12 is covered by a retractable magrodrome, which is a sliding glass roof found aboard passenger ships. Keeping comparable with other ocean liners, there's a continuous wraparound promenade deck on Deck 7, and this passes behind the bridge screen and it allows passengers to circumnavigate the deck while remaining shielded from the elements. If you walked one time around it, you'd walk 620 meters or 2,030 feet. The flanking promenades are created by the need to step the superstructure to allow space for lifeboats, which are no longer on the uppermost passenger deck of a ship like they used to be. On many ships, they are found on deck four. Here's where I raise a single brow hair, and you might as well. According to Solos standards, the lifeboats should be lower on the hull than they are. Solos standards are 15 meters or 49 feet above the waterline, and if you don't know what Solos is, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. SOLAS, the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea, is an international maritime treaty that sets minimum safety standards in the construction, equipment, and operation of merchant ships, and this began shortly after the sinking of RMS Titanic. 
For the sake of appearance, as well as to avoid the danger of large waves damaging the lifeboats, since she is a transatlantic ocean liner that will face larger waves than most cruise ships, ship designer Stephen Payne convinced Solas officials to exempt RMS Queen Mary II from this requirement, and so her boats are 25 meters or 82 feet above the water. This definitely makes me a bit nervous if I ever want to take a cruise with her, which I plan to do one day. Most lifeboats cannot be launched safely if a ship is listing more than 10 to 15 degrees, and because of that extra distance the lifeboats need to travel, I'd worry about complications during evacuation. Let's talk about the stern for a moment since it's quite unique. Payne's original design had the stern in more of a spoon shape, similar to previous ocean liners, which I would have adored. However, the mounting of the propeller pods unfortunately required a flat transom, and so there would be a compromise, and this compromise was a Costanzi stern, which is a combination of the spoon shape and the flat shape needed for the azimuthal pod propulsors. Another plus is it has better sea-holding characteristics in a swell. Just like most modern ships, she has a bulbous bow that reduces drag and increases speed, range, and fuel efficiency. Her design is very similar to Queen Elizabeth II, however, her funnel is shorter for one major reason. If it had been taller, she wouldn't have been able to safely pass under New York City's Verrazano Narrows Bridge at high tide. The final design allows a minimum of 4 meters or 13 feet of clearance beneath this specific bridge. This is important because she regularly makes transatlantic crossings from Southampton to New York City. One problem has arisen with her gargantuan size, and that is that she's too large and in charge to fit in the majority of ports, so passengers are often ferried to and from the ship in tender boats, and these can also double as lifeboats. Think of SS Nomadic and SS Traffic carrying RMS Titanic's passengers to and from Cherbourg. These tenders are stored at sea in davits alongside the lifeboats, and you guys know me by now, I love me a good davit. To take the passengers back ashore, the tenders pull up to one of the four loading stations, each of which has a big hole door that opens hydraulically to form a boarding platform, complete with decking and railings. Talk about fancy. RMS Queen Mary II is a post-Panamax ship, so she was too wide to use the Panama Canal before it was widened in 2016. Because of this, she had to circumnavigate South America to get from the Atlantic to the Pacific. This sounds like an enormous oversight, However, they decided to allow her to be wider than the Panama Canal since RMS Queen Elizabeth II only ever used the canal once a year during a world cruise, and so Cunard decided this was a worthy sacrifice if it meant RMS Queen Mary II could carry more passengers. So now we know all about her exterior. Let's get into interior design, shall we? She mirrors modern ships in that her large, grand public rooms are often on the lowest public decks of the ship with staterooms built above them. This is the exact opposite of how traditional ocean liners were built, but it allows for larger rooms to be contained within the stronger hull, and for more passenger cabins to have breathtaking views and private balconies higher up on the ship, away from large waves. Much like SS Normandy, Payne attempted to create a central access to the two main public room decks, but a full vista is broken by various public rooms that span the full beam of the ship, with the dining rooms placed aft toward the stern. This is slightly problematic, since the fore and aft pitching of the ship is most noticeable in these dining rooms, so it could cause discomfort and unpleasant vibrations here. The lowest passenger deck, Deck 2, has the Illumination Theater, Cinema and Planetarium, which is the first at sea, I might add. Also on Deck 2 is the Grand Lobby, Golden Lion Pub, 
Royal Court Theatre, Empire Casino, and the lower level of the Britannia Restaurant. Deck 3 hosts the upper levels of Illuminations, the Britannia Restaurant, and the Royal Court Theatre, as well as having the Vauve Clicquot Champagne Bar, Sir Samuel's Wine Bar, a small shopping arcade, the Chart Room, the Queen's Room, and the G32 Nightclub. The other main public deck with the most amenities is Deck 7, and here you'll find Corinthia Lounge, Canyon Ranch Spa, King's Court, the Queen's Grill and Princess Grill Restaurants, and the Queen's Grill Lounge. As for public rooms on Deck 8, there's an a la carte restaurant aptly named the Veranda Restaurant, an 8,000 volume library which is the largest of any cruise ship, the upper part of the Canyon Ranch Spa, and a bookshop. At the stern on Deck 8, you'll find a terrace and a large outdoor pool. The kennels for your perfect pals are located aft on the starboard side of Deck 12 and are only available during transatlantic crossing. There, they can accommodate up to 20 dogs and cats in small and large cages. The King's Court area of the ship is open around the clock, serving as a buffet restaurant for breakfast and lunchtime. The space is split into four sections, with each section decorated according to the theme of the four separate dining menus that are created each evening through tableware, menus, and ambient lighting. They are Lotus, which specializes in Asian cuisine, La Piazza, with Italian cuisine, the Carvery, a British-style grill, and the Chef's Galley, which offers an interactive experience to the food preparation. Catch me at La Piazza, I'm a sucker for good plate pasta. Your dining arrangements will depend upon which accommodation you choose to travel. There is a first class here, so for pricing, I can give you some estimates. The average person is going to travel in the Britannia class, which for the next transatlantic voyage ranges from $789 to $1,619 per person. Princess Grill Suites, which is the equivalent of Titanic's second class, sits at around $2,869 per person. And finally, the first class experience, which is the Queen's Grill Suites, costs around $3,979 per person. Wondering why they're called Grill Suites? According to Cunard's website, quote, The term Grill Suite has an interesting origin, one that comes from the start of the 20th century. It was around this time that the German liner Hapag introduced an extra tariff restaurant on board, which offered grilled meats. Not long after this, Cunard followed suit, but instead of charging an extra tariff, the restaurant was only available to first-class passengers. This experience evolved over the years, and such guests were therefore staying in Grill Suites. Around 85% of passengers are in Britannia class, so if you're in that class, you'll be eating at the main restaurant, the Britannia restaurant, though you can eat at any of the King's Court area too. If you are in the Princess Grill or Queen's Grill suites, you can eat at the Princess and Queen's Grill restaurants, and you can also use the Queen's Grill lounge with a private outdoor deck space on deck 11 with its own whirlpool. This is the only private area, and all other public rooms are accessible to everyone. The Britannia restaurant takes up the entire beam of the ship on two decks, so a tween deck called Deck 3L was born to allow passengers to walk directly from the Grand Lobby to the Queen's Room without heading through the dining room mid-meal. The deck has two corridors that run beneath the upper balcony of the restaurant on Deck 3 and above the main dining area on Deck 2. This causes the balcony of the restaurant to have tiers that step up toward the hull, and I think it's a very innovative feature. On RMS Queen Mary 2, there are more than 5,000 commissioned art pieces in her corridors, staterooms, lobbies, and public spaces, having been created by 128 artists in 16 different countries. 
Two of the most notable pieces are Barbara Brokeman's Tapestry, which is an abstract depiction of an ocean liner, the New York skyline, and a bridge that spans the full height of the Britannia restaurant. The second is a bronze relief mural made by British sculptor John McKenna, and it is seven square meters and is a portrait of the original Queen Mary, located in the Grand Lobby. There's also a gorgeous glass ellipse sculpture by Tomasz Urbanowicz called Blue Sun Setting in the Ocean, located in the 10th Deck Pavilion. Okay, you know the beautiful aspects of RMS Queen Mary too. Let's talk about her service history. On January 12, 2004, she set out for her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the United States of America, with 2,620 passengers aboard. Mastering her was the former captain of Queen Elizabeth II, Captain Ronald Warwick, who was also the son of William Bill Warwick, who had also been a senior officer for Cunard and the first captain of RMS Queen Elizabeth II. She returned home to Southampton late from her first voyage due to the bow doors covering the thrusters failing to shut in Portugal. During the Summer Olympics in 2004, RMS Queen Mary II sailed to Athens and docked at Piraeus for two weeks to be used as a floating hotel, serving the then Prime Minister of the UK, Tony Blair and his wife Cherie, the then United States President George W. Bush, French President Jacques Chirac, and the United States Olympic men's basketball team. According to Cunard, RMS Queen Mary II has had other famous passengers, including singers Rod Stewart, Carly Simon, and James Taylor, as well as the jazz musician Dave Brubeck. RMS Queen Mary II was also the first ocean liner to ever transport a book for its international launch, according to Cunard, and this book, autographed by its author, was locked in a steamer trunk during one 2005 transatlantic crossing. Can you guess the book? I'll give you a few seconds. It was the first United States copy of J.K. Rowling's book, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. RMS Queen Mary II left port on a cruise to South America in January of 2006, and upon departure from Fort Lauderdale, one of her propeller pods was damaged when it struck a channel wall, forcing her to proceed at a reduced speed. This resulted in Commodore Warwick's decision to skip several calls on their voyage to Rio de Janeiro. Because of this decision, many passengers threatened to stage a sit-in protest because of the missed calls, and so Cunard offered to refund voyage costs. She continued to run at reduced speed, and with many itinerary changes until her repairs were made after she returned to Europe in June, and the propeller pod was fixed in dry dock. In November of 2006, she was dry docked again at the Blom & Voss yard in Hamburg, Germany, for the reinstallation of the repaired propeller pod. At this time, sprinkler systems were installed in all of the vessel's balconies to comply with new safety regulations, which had come into effect due to the fire aboard MS Star Princess, now called Pacific Encounter and operated by P&O Cruises Australia. At this point, both bridge wings were also extended to improve visibility. Backtracking to when she completed this journey around South America on February 23, 2006, she met her namesake, the original Queen Mary, in Long Beach, California, where she is permanently docked and serves as a hotel and museum ship. The two queens exchanged a whistle salute, which was heard throughout Long Beach. On January 13, 2008, she met the other serving Cunard queens, the MS Queen Victoria and RMS Queen Elizabeth II, near the Statue of Liberty in New York City, and there was a fireworks display to celebrate the occasion. 
Before this, Queen Elizabeth II and Queen Victoria had made a tandem transatlantic crossing, and this is the first time three Cunard queens were present in the same location. Sadly, Cunard stated this was also the last time these three queens would be together, with Armist Queen Elizabeth II being retired late in 2008. Thankfully, they were wrong. The three queens met yet again on April 22, 2008 in Southampton. The Queen Victoria and Queen Mary II met up with Queen Elizabeth II in Port Rashid, Dubai on Saturday, March 21, 2009, after Queen Elizabeth II had retired. After Queen Elizabeth II was withdrawn from service and faces an uncertain fate to this day, Armas Queen Mary II remains as the only ocean liner left on the Atlantic. If you're interested in hearing about another Cunard ship's uncertain fate, check out our bonus episode on the fate of RMS Queen Mary. And of course, if you'd like an episode updating you on the fate of Queen Elizabeth II, let me know. For a bit of scandal, on August 3, 2007, three men were stopped by police while they were escorting and piloting a replica of the first American combat submarine, called Turtle, within 61 meters or 200 feet of Queen Mary II, which was docked at nearby Red Hook, Brooklyn. The replica was made by New York artist Philip Duke Riley and two out-of-town residents, one of whom claimed to be a descendant of the actual inventor of the submarine, David Bushnell. Riley received a citation for having an unsafe vessel violating the security zone around Queen Mary II from the Coast Guard. On October 19, 2011, Queen Mary II's port of registry shifted to Hamilton, Bermuda to allow the ship to host onboard weddings. This marked the very first time in the 171-year history of the Cunard Line that one of their ships was not registered in the UK. Bermuda is a member of the Red Ensign Group, which is a collaboration of the United Kingdom shipping industries, including British Overseas Territories and Crown Dependencies. This means that RMS Queen Mary II, despite being registered in Bermuda, continued to fly the undefaced Red Ensign rather than the Bermuda Red Ensign. Let's talk about world cruises, since RMS Queen Mary II has done these. The first world cruise she took started on January 10th, 2007, drew an enormous crowd in Sydney Harbor, even though it was 5.42 a.m., and the crowd was so large the Harbor Bridge and Anzac Bridge were blocked. Roughly 1,600 passengers got off the ship and explored in Sydney, bringing in an estimated $3 million into the local economy. She also took another three-month world cruise starting on January 10th, 2012, and she passed through the Suez Canal. She took her fifth anniversary voyage in October of 2009, celebrating with an eight-night voyage around the British Isles, including visits to Liverpool and Greenwich. There's an interesting piece carried aboard RMS Queen Mary II, and it was actually created for Sir Samuel Cunard in Boston, Massachusetts, to commemorate the arrival of his first vessel, RMS Britannia, and this is called the Boston Cup, sometimes called the Britannia Cup. It was missing for much of the cup's existence, but was discovered in an antique shop in 1967 and returned to Cunard, where it was placed on board RMS Queen Elizabeth II, and then passed down to RMS Queen Mary II when she became the fleet's flagship. It hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for our Miss Queen Mary II, however. There was a small engine fire that broke out in the gas turbine room located high up on the ship just behind the sign designating her name on the evening of October 5th, 2011. It was started in one of the ship's gas turbines, and thank goodness no injuries or deaths were reported, with the crew being able to extinguish it. 
A year before, on September 23, 2010, in RMS Queen Mary II's AF harmonic filter room, there was an incident that resulted in all four of her propulsion motors being shut down and a total loss of electrical power throughout the vessel. Within an hour, the main generators were restarted and she was able to resume passage. And in a later investigation, it was found that an explosion was caused by electrical arcing within the aft harmonic filter igniting leaked dielectric fluid vapor. That could have been a lot worse than it was. On July 6, 2013, Armist Queen Mary II departed New York City for Southampton on her 200th transatlantic voyage. Guest speakers were on board, including the ship's designers, to talk about her design aspects. Almost a year later, on May 6, 2014, MS Queen Elizabeth, a new Cunarder, MS Queen Victoria, and RMS Queen Mary II met up and sailed with each other from Lisbon to Southampton, and this was to celebrate the birthday of RMS Queen Mary II, ending in a birthday salute in harbor. On May 25th, 2015, once again, all three queens reconvened, this time at Liverpool, to celebrate the 175th anniversary of Cunard Line. Queen Mary II had arrived the previous day, and so she made a brief excursion up the River Mersey to meet her two fleet mates and lead them into port. In formation, the queens sailed into Liverpool, and they spent several hours together before Queen Mary II departed to St. Peter Port, Guernsey, which is the second largest island in the Channel Islands. On July 2nd of that year, Queen Mary II would begin her 175th anniversary crossing in Southampton, heading back to Liverpool for a fireworks display on July 4th, which is the actual date of Cunard's first transatlantic voyage. Then she headed to Halifax, Nova Scotia, following the actual route of the first Cunarder Britannia. After a day there, she headed upriver to the city front for a 21-gun salute and bagpipe band honoring the vessel. After Halifax, she headed to Boston and spent a full day at the cruise terminal, since Boston was the terminus of the original crossing in 1840. That evening, she backed out into Boston Harbor, and there she was bathed in another fireworks display as she sailed off. She spent one night and one day at sea, heading into New York Harbor early in the morning on July 14, 2015, and she docked at the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. Later that evening, she sailed down to the lower harbor between the Battery and the Statue of Liberty, and there she was witness to the forever Cunard Queen Mary II light show. In 2016, there was another refit that cost $132 million at Blom & Voss, spanning just over 25 days. The major changes included the addition of 15 single-occupancy staterooms, 30 additional balcony staterooms, and 10 more animal cages for a larger kennel area. According to Blom and Voss, there were also exhaust gas scrubbers and filters added to reduce emissions. On June 10, 2017, RMS Queen Mary II was commanded by Captain Christopher Wells when he and the vessel came to the rescue of a stranded solo yachtsman, 73-year-old Mervyn Wheatley. His yacht, Tamarind, had been disabled by a strong storm while he had been participating in the Observer single-handed transatlantic race. The British and Canadian Coast Guards worked together to coordinate the long-range rescue after detecting Tamarind's distress beacon. An RMS Queen Mary II was guided to his position by a RAF Lockheed C-130 Hercules aircraft, where they made a successful rescue. Of course, like all cruise ships, in 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic, there were complications, and she was in the midst of a world cruise at the time, and Cunard cancelled the Asian leg of the voyage. 
They only stopped in Singapore to refuel before heading to Australia. And on March 15, 2020, Cunard canceled the rest of the voyage and she returned to her home port. By April 15th, she returned to Southampton and was in dry dock in Brest, France until November 28, 2021, when she would return to service with minor restrictions. RMS Queen Mary 2 is a gorgeous ocean liner that still performs transatlantic crossings to this day. One day, I hope to set foot on her decks and see her myself. Until then, we'll just have to enjoy the pictures. Thanks so much to our lovely patrons for subscribing and supporting the channel and myself as a creator. You guys are awesome, and it really does help us out. If you'd like to help support this channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com slash shipwrecksunday to join. Thank you for tuning into Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a 5-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment and you might hear your favorite ship here on the podcast. Check out our community tab for updates and to interact with us, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tune in next Sunday for the part one of the German sisters SS Bremen and SS Europa, starting with SS Bremen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.